Welcome to Stu's EV Universe, where you can find anything and everything electric vehicle. Today I am honored to have Ed Begley Jr. on as my guest. Ed is not only an amazingly accomplished actor, but he's an environmentalist through and through. He leads by example. It's a pleasure having you on today. Likewise, buddy. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, and thank you for your time. I just you know, wanted to chat with you a little bit. I've been doing the EV thing, I guess, for six or seven years. I have a Nissan Leaf. and uh, Great car. I had one for four years. Yeah, yeah. So I know that uh, you are an EV pioneer. So I, I guess I thought maybe we could just start out with a little bit of a history of what cars you've owned and, and just kind of go from there. Happily. So uh, your first EV was? It was a Taylor Dunn, T-A-Y-L-O-R dash Dunn, D-U-N-N-E. They still make electric cars to this day, I believe. They're located in Orange County, I believe, still. And what when I say car, I'm being quite grand. We're talking about a golf cart with a windshield wiper and a horn. Right. It did, did, it did not have a steering wheel. It had a tiller, like an old golf course on the, you know, an old cart on a golf course would. And right. these were more... The one that I bought was a model that was used mostly for college campuses or warehouses where you didn't want to make a bunch of, you know, fossil fuel pollution in the warehouse, you know, in the behind closed doors or just for the ease of not having to buy gasoline or what have you around a, a college campus where you went maybe three miles or five miles in a day. You could just plug it in and go. But you could get a version that was covered, had canvas doors with a metal frame and had a little cab and a little kind of a cargo area in back. And it was licensed for the road. It was, you could get a California license plate. And I had one. I bought it used from a guy called Dutch in Reseda. Okay. And he, I just simply looked up in the phone book, electric cars or electric vehicles. I don't remember which way I looked it up, but it was 1970. And I had a motorcycle at the time. I wanted to get rid of that. I was scaling down on my use of fossil fuels by having a motorcycle, but I had trouble with the bike, you know, mechanical trouble. It was, took a lot of maintenance. It was a Norton and it, you had to really maintain it, you know, weekly or something. And I wasn't up to that. And I wanted to get off fossil fuels totally. So I got this electric car and right away I loved it because rather than paying money for gasoline, I was plugging in the wall and it was cheaper to buy that ga- that electricity than it was to buy gasoline. And it was much, much cheaper to maintain. I literally had no maintenance for it in the few years that I had it. Yeah, so I bought that electric car in 1970 for $950. And I sold it for something close to that, uh, you know, a few years later. But uh, I gave up on electric cars for a while because that car had a, top speed about 15 or 20 miles per hour and had right. a range of about 15 miles. So right. it wasn't practical for where I was driving. Now, what was your next car? My next car was a car I bought from this guy. Rick Lewandowski facilitated it for me. I can't remember the guy's name in Illinois. I bought it from, but it was a Subaru, a 73 Subaru converted to electric. Oh, wow. And, and he had built the, chopper circuit himself he made his own controller he was a very handy guy electronically he took this old Subaru and converted it and had four pretty good tires under it 
some very good batteries. And it was a 36 volt car rather than the voltage of whatever that golf cart was. It was a little more voltage than that. Right. And, it, and I drove that and I paid 1750 bucks for it. So just for the tires alone, I was close to even, <laughs> you know, and, right. and the batteries were in good shape. So I was definitely ahead of it. The car took about four blocks to get up to 30 miles an hour. The top speed was like 35 or something like it. And right. it took you many, it was a slow boat, you know, lead sled. But my friend, I met this guy at electric vehicle meeting, the EVA, Electric Vehicle Association, yep. had a meeting. I heard about them and I went to a meeting in, let's say, Eagle Rock. I think it was Eagle Rock. And I went there and the only other guy that had driven electric car there was this guy, um, Howard Latowski, this wonderful Guy has become a dear friend, this eccentric guy who's an inventor and what have you. And he had a, a three-wheel electric vehicle that was like a electric tricycle thing that he'd made from motorcycle parts. And he drove that there. I drove mine. And he said, you know, this could go a lot faster, said Howard. I said, yeah, well, how would I do that? He said, I'll help you. <laughs> Let's get some parts. We'll get some extra cable. We'll get some more batteries. We'll buy a Curtis PMC controller. That'll be about 900 bucks for that and about another four or 500. So for 2,500 bucks, when I was all done for cable and batteries, control and everything, and Howard did it for free. He didn't charge me anything. He was so generous with his time. I now had a, for all in 1,700, I paid for the car, 2,500 for these parts and batteries, a new controller. I now had a 72 volt vehicle, which would go in the freeway and would get up to 35 miles an hour and, you know, half a block. Right. That car I drove for a while. I had that for a few years and like that. I then also got a sporty car that was more of a, a car that was appealing to the ladies. I was single at the time and it was a, a, a Bradley kit car. They had a sure. Bradley kit car. You know, the car, yeah. it would, you could put it on a VW Volkswagen, you know, wiring harness and chassis and the car kind of the, you know, the, I guess it was fiberglass body went on that, what have you. And they had an internal combustion kit and they had an electric kit. And that's what I bought. It was all done. I didn't have to put it together. I bought it as one And that car. I think I spent something like three grand for, or five. I can't remember. And that went a little further and a little faster. The Bradley did. Yeah. That reminds me of like, as a kid, I, I would get the, uh, I think it was called the Whole Earth Catalog, and uh, it had all those kinds of things. Like, you know, it had an electric car, it had solar panels, the, just kind of a huge catalog of environmental kinds of things. And that's kind of what you had to do back in, in that day is there wasn't really much, if anything, available commercially, right? Exactly. Yeah. Then I got my next step was really my biggest step up. Howard was a big jump forward, my friend Howard Latowski. I still see him to this day. But then I met this guy, Richard Mayer. He taught auto shop at Van Nuys High, where I attended high school. And somebody introduced me to him, and he had something. Oh, I met him at an event out in Calabasas, now that I remember. He had something called the Electric Car Company of America. He had gotten that name for his company. But he taught auto shop, and he was converting cars. So for 10 grand, he agreed to build me a car. If I gave him a check for 10 grand, he would get an old VW uh, Rabbit 
he had his eyes on one at a junkyard because no matter what was wrong with the car, it was still good to turn into an electric car. Right. As long as the doors worked and the windows rolled up and the steering wheel worked, it was a fine car. The gas tank has a leak. Wonderful. The starter doesn't work. No problem. <laughs> the smart control, no, no big deal. The engine has a blown head. Excellent. I'm taking all that out anyway. So he gutted the car and turned it into an electric car. And this car was now 108 volt and would really go pretty fast. At some point, that car, another car I bought from him was 144 volt. And that car was relatively quick. Uh, the only challenge with those cars, the chassis, the, sorry, the chassis and the more importantly, the braking system weren't really designed for that amount of weight of all those lead acid right. batteries. Back then, they're all lead acid. So it was kind of like working a Stairmaster, you know, climbing a Stairmaster to get the car to stop. You had to kind of pump and pump and pump the brakes, you know, and, it, you know, and Richard uh, helped with that. He put in uh, a brake, you know, uh, uh, an assisted uh, like power brake system that made the brakes work a lot better. And so it had that little, you know, compressor go build up, you know, like an, uh, what do you call it? An air tank in a garage, right. a uh, compressed air. So it was basically that a compressed air system that was hooked up to the brake line. So if you hit the brakes and put all that pressure from the compressed air tank, a little one, it was as big as, you know, like a, a brick or a loaf of bread or something. And, but that helped a lot with the braking. I had that for a while. And then now things get good. Cause you know what happens next in 1996, because all this was taking me up to 1989. I got the Subaru 1990. I got the Bradley 91. I got the Richard Mir VW rabbit, the 96, you know, finally GM came out with, you know, their purpose built car. Right. They're EV1, and I got in one of those. I was one of the first people in America to get one, and uh, I drove that and, of course, loved that car. But then you know the downside to that car. They wouldn't sell it to anybody. They leased them only so they had control of it and then did what they wanted to do all along. Some people wanted to do all along with it at GM, which is to take them back and to crush them to prove that electric cars did not work. Right. And as you probably know, when Mr. Wagoner, I can't remember his first name, left General Motors years ago now, they, somebody asked him, reported, so what, what do you think your biggest mistake was at General Motors? He said, killing the electric car. Because it was really a good car, but they were kind of mandated by the ZEV rule, the California rule, to make them, to make so many electric cars. And so was Honda and a few others that made over X amount of cars they had to make them, and they they nearly all resented being told they had to make them. Right. You know, and so they took the cars back and crushed them, and it was unfortunate because it was a very good car. And then, as we know, a few years later, things changed, and things got better with the Volt, and then Elon Musk came along, and then, you know, and then uh, Nissan, and, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Chris... Uh, uh, Chris uh, Payne had his wonderful movie Revenge of the Electric Car and with that you saw you know them planning the Nissan Leaf which I got as soon as that was available you know I, I had a I missed an important car I'm very sorry I just remembered something important about six months before they crushed the EV1s I could see the writing on the walls that they were going to do that Stuart right. 
And so I jumped into a RAV4 electric. I missed one of the best electric cars I ever had, which was a RAV4. I had that electric RAV4 from 2001 to 2014. Yeah, 2014. I had it for years. And that was a very good car because you could haul lots of stuff in it. It had that hatchback, you know, kind of thing. And what having the seats folded down and you could see four or five people in the car. And it had a range of 80 some odd miles, which were, was great. That was like the EV1, but the EV1 was a, a two seater and I had a young child. And so that was problematic, you know, with a car seat and what have you. So I got that RAV4 and loved that car for years. That was like with the rebates and what have you, I think it was, $30,000, something like it. And I leased it for a year, few years, but at the end of the lease, I had the option to buy it for like eight grand. And I did buy it and had that till I, I sold it on eBay and bought my uh, electric Nissan Leaf in, in 2014. Didn't they, didn't they then, crush a lot of those sorry. RAV4s too? They did. They were starting to crush the RAV4s and they saw the black eye that GM had gotten from doing it. They were starting to get you know, a black eye in the press from that. And so they stopped crushing, you know, all of them. There, there was a few dozen of them left or what have you, maybe 50 of them left. I can't remember. And they stopped crushing those and went, oh, no, the people that got them can, you know, they'll have to be responsible for replacing the batteries if they crap out. But people that want to keep them can keep them. That's up to them. And we'll keep crews right. on, you know, standby if they need to be maintained in some way. And I had that car. I put in one battery pack at about the six-year mark or what have you, I think. But when I sold it, the batteries were still in very good shape when I sold it in 2014 and got that Leaf and drove that for many miles. And it's still in the family, the Nissan Leaf I gave to my daughter, Amanda. I have a 43-year-old daughter, and she drives it to this day. She works in the environmental arena. Yeah, she loves it, and it's a good car. The batteries are in fine condition. And then December... A year ago, December, I got myself in the best car I've ever owned. I owned it. I did not lease it. That that would be the Tesla Model yeah. S. And there's no other car like that around. It's just an extraordinary machine. And I, I love it in my old age and my dotage. I decided to really treat myself and get a car that was quite fancy, but worth every penny. I drive regularly to up to Portland to see my son or to Albuquerque, New Mexico to work. And with that fully autonomous driving, it's such a treat. You know, you can just relax and keep your, you got to keep your hands on the wheel. It'll shut you down. But, uh, you know, uh, to just take that drive, you know, with the, the computer doing all the work, it's really an amazing thing. And, you know, mentioning that you, you handed, you know, your leaf out down to your daughter, that's really, that's something that I think a lot of people don't think about is that they're not only showing people in the general area that they're doing something responsible, but on a daily basis, you're, you're showing your kids. I mean, my, my son yep. had a car uh, until he unfortunately had an accident, uh, you know, a gas car. And now, um, you know, he's uh, living with us. He's in college and we share the leaf. We have a leaf in a vault and uh, he, he has free use of the, the leaf. And I think before uh, before that, he was really all about gas vehicles. And I, I think you can kind of see now how the value of not having to go to the gas station, 
uh, and deal with that, not having to, you know, pay that money or ask us for that money uh, and uh, plugging it at night and having a full charge in the morning. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm setting an example for, you know, my, my two kids. And I think I am. I think they've seen you know, the, the kinds of things before I had the electric car, I had a, we had two grease cars. So we kind of went through a, a lot to try to be responsible. And I, I guess as a parent, you hope that that rubs off. Do you feel that that's been the case with your kids? Very much so. My grown kids who are 43 and 42 grew up with me, mostly having regular cars, fuel efficient cars. I had a, a Nissan uh, uh, no, a Datsun B210. It was called mm -hmm. Datsun back then. A Datsun B210 Plus. It had a fifth gear and overdrive that was very efficient on long trips. But it was still an internal combustion car, though fuel efficient. It was not as fuel efficient as a hybrid or something. So I drove that for a while. They saw me have that car. And then the, we had a Volvo that was pretty fuel efficient, what have you. But still, you know, it, it used gas. And so they were used to the other cars. So when I decided when they were about... 13 or 14, I guess, no, maybe 12 and 13. I then went, I'm not going to drive internal combustion cars anymore. I'm going to go back to electric. And they were like, wait, but we live in Ohio. You know, I'd been recently divorced from their mom. How are you going to get to see us in your electric car? Will it make it there? And it was kind of an ordeal. I had to you know, stop in Fillmore, Santa Paula and charge for hours to make it over the hill into Ohio, the full 76 miles. My car only went about 53 miles, the best one that I had in those years. So my grown kids saw some sacrifice with going to electrics. But then as the cars get got better and the range got better, they really realized that was a good thing. And so my grown daughter drives that electric car to this day, the Nissan Leaf. And my but my now 21 year old, she only saw me with electrics right. her whole life. 1999, she was born. So her whole life. And at some point, I remember it vividly. She was like four years old or something. We're going to preschool and she saw a car ahead of us with this weird pipe <laughs> coming out back and stuff. The smoke was coming out. She said, what is that? What is that pipe in the back? And why is that car doing that? Because she didn't understand. She knew we had a car without a tailpipe. And she, I said, well, that's a, actually kind of a more normal car, right. honey. That's a, an internal combustion car and it's making pollution they got to get that checked it's smog checked they shouldn't be doing that but a lot of cars make that it's just more invisible you don't see it like that but they're still making that pollution and she was <laughs> like what why would you have a car that's burning what because she knew we had the solar panels on the roof that charged you know the batteries for the home and those same batteries or those same panels would charge a car at night or any time you know so she knew we got the, the mileage for the car from the sun i, I told her about all that when she was quite young. So she just went, why would somebody, I don't, she couldn't get her mind right. around it because she, she had never seen any evidence of it before. So it was, um, it was good for all of them to see the different stages of my awakening and my different epiphanies about electric cars. Uh, they were, you know, very much on board. Yeah. That's quick. a beautiful thing. Um, I mean, what, what, is, what was the seed, I suppose, of you, you know, kind of, deciding that you wanted to be responsible as far as the environment was it something that when you were growing up as a kid or something that dawned on you later um what what brought that 
kind of to the forefront? That's an easy one, Stuart. I grew mm. up in Los Angeles in the 50s and 60s. So you know what the smog was like then. You've heard about it. It's a national, it's an international story. And believe me, there's still plenty of bad air in Shanghai and Bang- and you know Bangkok and right. Beijing and all those places and Singapore. There's lots of bad air out there still, the countries that didn't do what we did. You know, back in 1970, you know, we set about trying to clean up the air. You know, I was part of the first Earth Day in 1970. And, you know, I asked, I said, well, this is great for this one day. What are we going to do the other 364 days? And some of the leaders of the event said, well, we're going to clean up the air. We're going to clean up the water. And I knew the water was bad in places because the Santa Monica Bay was quite dirty. I could go see that. And the Cuyahoga River near Cleveland the year before, in 1969, had caught fire. There was a river that caught fire near Cleveland. There was so much toxic chemical floating on the top of the river. And somebody lit a match too close to it, and the river caught fire. So I thought, that's pretty bad. I knew the air was plenty bad in L.A. because just forget about running and playing in the 50s and 60s, to just sit on a bench and be still and read a book, your lungs hurt you. So I was very much open to electric cars in 1970. And when I found one for $950, I went, this is not a bad price for a used car. It's going to be pretty cheap to operate. And it sure was. There was no maintenance the whole time I had it. And the fuel was very cheap. So I got smitten with electric cars. And I knew, well, I hoped that we would clean up there. And we, and we did, Stuart. When you really think about it, from 1970 to date, we have four times the cars in LA, millions more people. But for years now, we have a fraction right. of the smog because everything we hoped would work did work. Catalytic converters on cars helped. Electric cars helped. Clean fuel public transportation helped. You know, all the stuff that we did, big and small, you know, it all worked, proving that you can have a robust economy, and you can have environmental stewardship, you know, environmental responsibility. So it's a big success story, the smog story in L.A. We still have places we got to fix air in L.A. and elsewhere. We've got shipping centers, the ports of Long Beach and San Pedro still have a lot of pollution for the neighbor neighborhoods there, you know, diesel trucks and other shipping centers in the Inland Empire, you know, you know like Amazon fulfillment centers and what have you. There's pollution around neighborhoods like that we got to fix that and help those people but we've proven that we can do it because most of the air in most places is much much well much and better. now with you know the year that we've been through with covid you know i remember when that all started and you know here in kentucky i remember going with my daughter to downtown louisville because she just wanted to go and see what it was like and there were no cars on the road there was nobody out there's no planes in the sky uh everything was quiet and still i'm kind of wondering how covid has changed things you know we're, we're starting hopefully to kind of claw our way out with folks getting vaccinated and everything how has it changed things has it changed things you know will we remember something from this going forward I think so. I think it's changed a lot of things, environmental and otherwise. People have realized they don't really need to have to be at that meeting and go to that convention center, you know, somewhere in America or somewhere in another country for the convention. They can do it. You know, they can telecommute and do it. They can have a conference. There's something to be said for pressing the flesh and being with people in a room. I accept that. But we've woken up to so many ways that we just thought we had to gather personally when often we do not. So I think that's generally a thing. And then when we've seen firsthand 
the incredible clearing of the skies and the cleaner waters and what have you. And the Venice canals were cleaner and lots of other places were had, you know, that clean air and clean water that were quite evident very quickly. People realized what could be what is possible right. for the environment. And so uh, people, I think, are open to doing more now. They've seen the effect it can have. So I think, you know, certainly with the price of things now, the price of crude oil and the price of coal and the environmental costs of both, people are starting to really appreciate what wind and solar can give us, what good battery storage can do for us. You know, we, we can do a lot. I know that wind power works. I've owned a wind turbine, the California desert for since 1985. You know, I know that solar panels work for not just hot water. I got that in 1985 also, solar hot water for my house, but I got solar electric for my house in 1990. Right. So I know it works. You know, it can power our house and, and charge our cars. So, and the worst energy related accident with solar, it's <laughs> not like a worst energy energy related accident with, with nuclear is Fukushima or Chernobyl, the worst energy related accident with solar. If you didn't bolt the panel down really well and there's a windstorm, you know, maybe it could fall and hit you <laughs> on the head, I guess, I don't know, or fall in your yard and damage some lawn furniture. That's right. the worst that can happen with a solar panel that I know of. That's the worst energy related accident. So, and certainly the worst energy related accident with a drilling platform we oh, saw yeah. with Deepwater Horizon. We're not just, we harmed a lot of birds and fish, but 11 men and lives women died lost. there. Yeah. You know, lives were lost. Lives were lost at Massey Coal with the right. coal mine crash, you know, that same, that, coal, that cave in coal mine accident there in that same year as the Deepwater Horizon. People die so we can have cheap energy, but it doesn't need to be. Battery storage is getting cheaper every year, every month, it seems. Solar and wind are getting cheaper every year, every month, it seems. And so we need to stay on that path and do things like that that, that make economic Yeah, sense. absolutely. I know, I think years ago, I reached out to you and uh, asked you about, you know, I had aspirations for things like solar and an electric car. And uh, I found it very comforting, your answer with basically saying, go for the low-hanging fruit. And that, that's really kind of been my mantra since. I, I got very excited about LED lights in the house. And, I mean, some people have the resources to, you know, go from point A to point B in a day, you know. Um, and I definitely know folks that, that can do that. But that definitely wasn't my uh, my story. And I mean, fast forward to now, we, we have electric cars, we have solar panels, we have a very efficient house, even though, you know, it's a retrofitted house. And, you know, we've accomplished a lot. So I really kind of credit you to a large degree in planting that in my brain that things don't have to happen immediately, but you should continually be striving. Um, and that's also what I've tried to do with the electric vehicle group that I co-founded here in Kentucky. Started it about six years ago, uh, met at a coffee shop with five or six people. Today, um, we have something like 150 or 160 paid members, and more and more we're growing. We've done ride and drives, uh, Drive Electric Week. We crowdsourced a one-hour-long documentary on Kentucky called Driving a Clean Future in Coal Country that not only talks about electric vehicles, but solar farms and, and battery technology, a bunch of different things. So I'm wondering how you feel about 
your role as and what kinds of things concrete, you know, in a concrete way that you do as an environmental activist or advocate and what you would suggest to other people that they can do in their daily lives. Well, Stuart, you just touched on one of the most important points for me when talking about this stuff. You know, when people ask me and they regularly ask me, I want to get solar for my house. I want to do this or that. You know, I say, okay, here's the number that I want you to call this. Wait wait a minute. This says home energy (laughs) audit. I want to get electric car and I want to get solar panels. I I want you to get that too. But first of all, do a home energy audit and you're going to, first of all, reduce your demand. And then you get, you'll see what size solar panel system you really need. They may want to sell you seven or eight kilowatts, which I don't really object to, but I don't know if you have that budget. You may need only four or five or three kilowatts. Reduce your demand first. Get out there, get that energy audit. Many utilities around the country give you a free energy audit. costs you nothing. Your local Southern California gas, for instance, does it. Department of Water and Power does it. I think Southern California Edison does it. They give you free energy audit, and then you know, okay, I'm going to buy the light bulbs first. Then I got some extra money next month, and I'll get a, you know, the energy saving thermostat because I'm on a real budget. I can't afford. I'll get the weather stripping next. I'll do the, you know, water heater blanket, et cetera, et cetera. And pretty soon, you've got a very efficient home that can, you know, do a lot with less in the area of solar panels. Whatever you're going to do, so you pick the low hanging fruit first. Nobody's capable of running up to Mount Everest to the top. You get to base camp and you get acclimated. And you only climb right. as high as you can. Not everybody's going to make it to the peak and get, you know, a Tesla power wall system and a Tesla car and, you know, all the panels that Tesla solar tiles. People are going to do what they can. And that's what you want to encourage everybody to climb as high as they can, do the best they can and make their homes and offices more efficient first. That's the And right I, I think it's it. unfortunate that, you know, because we uh, through, you know, Evolve KY, the, the electric car group. Um, we've gone and we've done school outreach. And I remember one school, you know, when you talk about electric vehicles, the kids think Tesla, which is kind of a blessing and a curse because especially initially Teslas are very expensive cars and they're still not cheap, you know, but I I find it a ongoing issue or challenge, I guess is a better word that we need to educate people that, Electric car doesn't, you know, just mean Tesla. It means you actually right now you can get a, you know, a a used EV for very reasonable that will last you for quite a long time. And most people don't realize that, you know, the average commute is something like 25 or 30 miles a day. And then a lot of people think, oh, well, what about taking that trip? And I kind of call it the Home Depot uh, problem where, People say, well, I have, you know, to haul things twice a year. Well, I, I tell people, well, rent a car those two times and enjoy your electric car around town and then enjoy your brand new rental car those couple times a year that, that you need that. Exactly. Yeah. That's the right way to say it, Stuart. That's what I've been telling people for years. But I, how do I get up to see my aunt in Visalia <laughs> for Christmas? Right. Rent a car, you know, and you won't be paying the insurance on it the whole year, you know, just. And you can have the electric car that you drive day to day and it'll, it'll take care of your right. friend 62 right. days a year. And um, I guess that that kind of I, I'm kind of curious, uh, Elon Musk, I mean, kind of a, a love him or hate him, kind of a fascinating personality. 
Um, he's accomplished something that um, I think people before Tesla felt was almost virtually impossible, that you can create a car company and have it be successful, never mind an electric car company. You know, I know when he was first starting out, you know, it was almost like a lot of the legacy car makers were kind of laughing at him and, and saying, oh, yeah, you know, that, yeah, sure, that'll happen. Yep. <laughs> and um, I mean, I, you know, since things like who killed the electric car, uh, what has changed since then? What stayed the same? I mean, I, I also find it a challenge because I, I know the reality right now is I think there's something like 1% of cars are, are EVs. And that just seems like such a small number. But there does seem to be, you know, through word of mouth, through success with companies like Tesla that seem to keep increasing the numbers and, and doing the right thing. It seems like there's there's a lot of hope on the horizon. I mean, Biden, um, you know, just came out with this two trillion dollar uh, infrastructure thing. And I think uh, something like one hundred and seventy four billion is supposed to be allocated towards, uh, you know, green transportation. So uh, electric vehicles, if that comes to fruition, what do you think? I mean, are we at a time when um, things are going to drastically change? Uh, is it going to take a lot more time? Yeah, I think we're at a very good place now. We're positioned to do a lot of good things with, the, you know, a lot of the funding that's being proposed for green matters, I think, and many other important matters. I think we're at a very hopeful time. So, you know, I, I think the market's going to dictate where things head, and that's only favorable right. to us the way I see it because of the true cost of many of these, you know, things of going to, to fighting wars in foreign lands is a big expense. Deepwater Horizon, a big expense in money and life and limb. So uh, we're, we're going to go in another direction now, and we've proven that we can do it. It's just a matter of time before we hit critical mass. And really, you know, you got people like Volvo committing to just make electric cars only. And, and uh, with what we have to do with many of the like California, you know, climate change goals and what have you, there needs to be a lot of electrics to make that happen. A lot of electric homes and a lot of electric cars. And that's possible. So, you know, there's always more we can all do. When I designed this house years ago, I, to my discredit, it was designed to have a, a natural gas water heater, a natural gas dryer, clothes dryer, what have you, and a you know natural gas heat. And I've I've seen the cost since of fracking and what have you. I thought, well, natural gas is a good bridge fuel. I kind of bought that whole routine till we get to hydrogen flowing through those same lines or methane from landfills and what have you. Natural gas has helped us clean up the air in LA with all the natural gas buses. I kind of bought into all that. But now I've myself gone on to another level. I've one by one, you know, taken out these different natural gas systems like the clothes dryer first and the, the natural gas water heaters being taken out as we speak. A.O. Smith, they have a wonderful heat, heat pump water heater now that works electric and very, very efficiently, an electric heat pump water heater. So that's going to be installed soon. So my natural gas pill my natural gas bill plummeted right away with me just taking out the, you know, the natural gas clothes dryer. So we can all, even people who are living in a lead platinum house like mine can do more. You know, I was really moved, Stuart, by Greta, yeah. what she and her, all those young people did really move me. I went, I, you know, it's not enough. I got to do more. I didn't fly often, I'll tell you, but I really haven't flown now 
in a year and a half. Certainly very few people are flying during the pandemic. But before that, and even as things loosen up, I have the option to go when I'm working now in, uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico from Los Angeles. That's 800 miles. Everybody I know that's working on this project is flying there, but not me. I get to ride in my Tesla and know that it's clean electric all the way there and back. And I'm not burning up kerosene at 31,000 feet where there's no trees to mitigate it, you know, that CO2 and everything. And I, I just feel better about it. Uh, I'm doing everything I can. There's always more any of us can do. So, uh, you know, I encourage everybody to do what they can. It could be just putting in some light bulbs to start if you're really broke and struggling. But each of those things are going to not only be good for the environment, they're going to save you money wherever you are in the economic spectrum. And if everybody did what they can, we'd solve oh, all absolutely. these problems. And, very, and I, very I think quickly. a lot of people don't realize, because I, I, I definitely have friends that say, yeah, you know, my next car will be an electric car or, um, you know, when, when the tech, the technology is not quite there. So when, the, when the technology is there, that that's when I'll pull the trigger. Yeah. You know, I tell them the technology is there. Um, you know, you're able to take trips, you know, a lot of these cars, you know, the, the latest generation of EVs easily, you know, over 200, over 300, uh, mile range, uh, infrastructure, with fast chargers and destination chargers is, is definitely getting more robust. So it's, and the batteries, you know, a lot of people ask, oh, but you, what about how, what's the cost in replacing the batteries? Well, we've also gone past that. It's not going to be an issue. You know, I, I, I would venture to say that the rest of the car will fall apart before you need to think about doing anything with the battery pack. Yeah. I've had very good luck with batteries, my different electric cars and my, uh, my hybrids, you know, we drove hybrids there for a while. And in fact, my 21-year-old my daughter is still driving my wife's old car, which was my wife had range anxiety. So I got her a Chevy Volt. It has 58 miles of pure electric, and then it'll switch over right. to natural, not natural gas, to gasoline. And that car, for her, meant that she would like once or right. twice maybe in a year put gasoline in it because 97% of right. her driving was 58 miles or less. So my daughter drives that car now, and uh, we haven't had to replace the batteries on that. The old cars that I've had, the electric car, the Nissan Leaf went to my grown daughter. The housekeeper got the old, yeah. you know, uh, Toyota Prius. You know, these cars are still driving with hundreds of thousands of miles on them, many of them with the same batteries. And so uh, it's extraordinary. And they can repurpose and recycle a lot of these batteries anyway. And people go, it's so toxic. They're made out of lithium, a lot of them. You know, people are taking lithium in pill form. Right. Some people have different maladies, putting lithium intentionally into their bodies with no harm. So, I mean, it's it's a way we need to go. It's doable. We can recycle these materials when they're past their life. We just have to move in that direction because there's a lot, lot more pollution with deep water horizon drilling and coal mine work and all of that. I think most people don't realize. I Years ago, a friend of mine bought a new house and he used a term that I thought was very interesting, that it's going to be his forever home, you know? And I thought, oh, what a concept, a forever home. And I thought, well, you know, a, a good modern day electric vehicle very easily could be your forever car. But our mindset is, uh, and myself included until recently, that, you know, you have these gas-powered and, and or diesel-powered vehicles that need a lot of maintenance and repairs. 
and eventually it's just not worth it to you know repair them so you get another car and another car and another car well that's changed with the the modern crop of evs and uh, I'm just hoping that we don't do with EVs what we've done with our cell phones, which is, oh, you know, I, I don't like the design of this or I want something a little, you know, snazzier and, and I want to get a new one because of that. We should be responsible and realize that we have something that is of value and we're doing something good for the earth. We don't just have to continually consume. Yeah, I agree. I think the less we can consume, the better it is. We don't always want the you know, something newer and different looking. I, I like to stay with something as long as it works. I right. try to keep right. things. Another hand. exciting thing with kind of the, the this day and age of electric vehicles is new car companies. Uh, and that's something we're seeing. Uh, I'll include Tesla in there, even though they've been doing this for quite a while and they've you know successfully scaled up with the Model 3. But there are interesting companies like Fisker, um, which is, I find it fascinating. It's a, it's a family owned company car company you know that i just find that super fascinating and their yeah their their suv the Me ocean too. uh is going to be a reasonably priced suv my understanding and going to include you know recyclable recycled parts from ocean waste which is kind of a cool concept really interesting stuff on the pipeline yep. coming down the pipeline there rivian and others what do you think as far as those compared to legacy automakers are the legacy automakers going to be able to keep up it seems like they've gotten the memo that things are changing and they they're changing rapidly yeah i think i think the legacy car makers are one by one going to move in the direction that volvo is and just do more or all electrics as we go forward you know they got the electric f150 now i believe and so they're they're realizing the wisdom of doing this and i hope they continue to stay on that learning curve but if not you know th these other companies are going to come in there the way elon did and they're just going to do right. it you know on their own you know it's certainly it's been proven that you can do it without them they kind of fear said well you need us nobody else has this the kind of wherewithal to start stamping out parts and what have you and have that kind of assembly line right. but elon did it you know it, i was Slightly skeptical myself if he could ever compete with what they're doing in right. Detroit, but he can and has. So people are going to do it or miss the boat at their own peril, and I hope they do. I want to see cars made as Teslas are made in this country, and I hope we can get on board and keep those jobs, you know, in California and in Michigan and other places, you know, Kentucky, where people need work. I mean, with Neo. Um, they, they right. are, you know, record numbers of, of vehicles being produced. And I think there was just in the news the other day, uh, they reached a milestone, 2 million battery swaps. They have these battery swap stations, which isn't something we're familiar really too much with here in the States, but it really fits with, with China. I mean, where so many people live in apartments and don't have the ability to charge. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. And, you know, it might I think serve it a too. purpose here in the States, too, for folks that there are plenty of people that don't have off-street parking. And that's their excuse for not getting an electric right. car. But if you have enough, you know, either DC fast charging or these swapping stations, that's the solution right there. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess um, just in general, uh, you know, wrapping things up, what do you think the future holds? I, I mean, I, I guess we've come a long way. We've come a long way, Stuart. And here's where we're at now. I mean, the sophistication of what you can do with good design and good software and updates and 
connectivity, you know, through the internet. As you know, with the Tesla, when I leave Los Angeles, I got to drive to Albuquerque. I just right. put in the address of the hotel in Albuquerque. That's all I do. I put it in, and then it tells me, here's what we recommend now with the state of the charging stations that lie before you. We recommend you'll stop in Needles, California, and then next Flagstaff, and then next, these are your three stops, uh, what do you call it, uh, Gallup, New Mexico. And then you'll be there. And that's leaving plenty of wiggle room in case somebody is suddenly, there's vehicles filling up those charging stations we're projecting, and they amend it along the way. Oh, you know, we're, we kind of think it'd be best to stop in Kingman, Arizona instead, because there's a lot of people, the charging stations and Gallup or what have you as you move forward. It's just constantly amending and updating. And these charging stations, many of them have 16 or 20 chargers. You know, so I've never seen one of them full that I've been to yet. And the few times that one in like a very popular place like Burbank has been full, you've had to wait in line like three minutes till one of the 20 spaces I have. You know, and this is not people driving cross country for the most part. Right. People, you know, getting their free charge, a fast charge in a place like Burbank in a city like L.A. So, you know, there's always a charger available. They plot it out for you. It's simple. And it it just it, it makes it so pleasant to drive cross country. Uh, I think that's the future. The future is bright with electric vehicles and certainly with the amount of solar that you can use. Here's the best thing about electric cars for me, Stuart, and I'll close with this. You <laughs> cannot make gasoline on the roof of your house. I happen to know this. You can make electricity in the roof of your house, though, and in so doing, absolutely. you can fuel your house and charge your car. Uh, it's really been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. God bless you, pal. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stu's EV Universe. I would like to thank Eden Unger for creating the artwork and the music for this episode. Remember, please rate, review, subscribe, and share, as that's the only way we can continue to grow. Now you can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash EVU. Remember, the EV revolution runs on your energy. I'm Stuart Unger. See you next time.